flowing more and jake had a sudden notion that he might actually live through this after all then a tree appeared out of nowhere reached out great shadow limbs and neatly tore off one wing the glider hit the ground almost level then the remaining wing dug into the earth and wrenched off with the sound of screaming timber and ripping canvas the plane went into a gentle sideways skid held upright by the weight of its cargo the horsa dug a deep furrow into the boggy soil, as forward progress was gradually braked by whipping through a field of ripening wheat. Then they stopped. Jake looked over at the pilot, took his first full-sized breath since the nose had pointed downward, and laughed. The pilot, a jaunty ace with sunburned cheeks and a sideways grin, replied, I think that went rather well. Jake unclenched his death's grip. At least we're alive. Precisely. The pilot snapped his belt, stood, stretched his back, said, I suppose we'd best be moving along then. Right behind you. Even though it was early June, the rain that sluiced through the two great gaping holes in the fuselage was bitterly cold. Jake kept his flight jacket zipped up tight to his collar as he set his shoulder alongside the pilot's and strained to open the loading door. But their landing had knocked the portal off its hinges and jammed it tight. Jake heaved with all his might and strained until he felt he was about to blow a gasket, but the door did not budge. Finally, the pilot leaned back and took a gasping breath. Rather a bother, that. Uh, what about... Uh, Jake stopped, tensed, and listened. For a moment, all he heard was the sound of rain drumming on taut canvas. Then there it was again voices of shouting from a distance. The pilot hissed, Is that German? I can't tell. He strained, listened further, and said, yeah, Maybe, maybe not. Could be Russian. Then it is time, as they say, to scarper. The pilot leaped for the rear truck. Only one shot here, he said. If your motor doesn't catch, you come with me. I'll do likewise. Jake nodded, climbing aboard the front truck. Just what he'd liked in a jam, to find his back watched by a man who knew how to think on his feet. He found the starter button, pumped the gas pedal, turned, and when the pilot gave him a thumbs up, he fired the engine. The motor whirred, grumbled, and roared to life. Even above the pair of racing engines, Jake could hear voices rising to shouts of alarm. He gave no time to thought, however. No time. He raced his engine once more, unsure what the pilot had in mind, but at this point, ready for anything. The pilot revved his motor to full bore, then jammed his truck into reverse and rammed it straight through the back of the plane. Without a moment for caution, Jake followed suit. There was a rending, scraping shriek, then a moment of sailing through air, then a squishy thud. Tires spun, engine roared, wheels found purchase and propelled the vehicle in a tight circle, in reverse, at a pace far too fast for driving through a field of wheat at two o'clock in the morning. Jake braked shouted at the gears when he could not find first, looked up in time to see the second great truck come barreling out of the night, headed straight for his door. The pilot managed to spin his vehicle out of range at the very last moment, sent a cheery, beg your pardon, across the distance and disappeared into the field. Jake revved his engine and followed suit, only to find himself plowing straight through a squad of soldiers. He would have been hard put to say who was more startled, he at the sight of these armed men appearing out of nowhere, or they at the vision of a roaring truck parting the wheat and barreling down on them without lights. Rifles were tossed to the heavens as soldiers dived in every conceivable direction.
Jake jammed the pedal to the floor and kept right on going. The field gave way to a rutted road, which he found and lost and found again, in the meantime dismantling the corner of what, given the squawks of protest his passage caused, he could only assume was a chicken coop. He did not stop to investigate. It was only when he was a good hour down the road that Jake finally decided it was time to put on his lights, slow down, and try to find out exactly where he was. Chapter 2 "'Sit down, Colonel.' The hard-eyed gentleman with whom Jake met two weeks before his departure had worn civilian clothes, with the ease of a courtier. "'I understand you speak German.' Jake took the offered chair, knew immediately that he was dealing with one of two new types. Quentin Helmsley was a man who had not served in the war, who knew how to fire a gun because he had studied a book and practiced at a firing range. Some. "'Records I have here say it's more than that.'